0: Welcome again to another edition of the Red Reporter Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, PK, and alongside me this week, we have from blistering, sunny Denver, Colorado, Wick Terrell. Wick, how's it going?
1: I, I can see the snow on top of the mountains, like 30 miles west of me, and I really want to be there because it is 98 degrees and melting my face right now, so other than that, I'm good. I'm quite good. The Reds are in town, so I get to see them.
0: Right, right. Yeah, we, we can talk about that here in a bit, and uh, also along with us this week, uh, we have Derek Grimes. Derek, what's up? Hey, it's good to
2: be back. Uh, not exactly you know, from Denver, Colorado, but it's sunny here in Indianapolis, Indiana.
1: Grimey! Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. It, it is not sunny here in Cincinnati, so uh, you have that on us right now.
1: Yeah, I heard it poured down rain like all over there in Kentucky over the fourth. That's kind of a bummer. Yeah.
0: yeah. Kind of sucks. Yeah.
1: Everything so, out here is on fire, so there's there's that option as well. So at least <laughs> at
0: least that's not going on there. Could be worse. Could be worse. But uh let's let's kick it off. We uh it's been a couple of weeks since we've actually had an episode. I know uh we've had you know some guys going out of town. I went out of town, Wick you went out of the country. Um since yeah, the last time we've recorded. Slightly, just yes. Just slightly. <laughs> Across the Pacific Ocean. But, uh, so, the last time we recorded an episode, we were kind of talking about who is going to be the next, who was going to be the all-stars for the Reds this year. Um, We were kind of tossing around the idea of Rysel Iglesias making the team. Um, That didn't happen. Um, So, as we record now, we are... Uh, a couple of days before the All-Star break, we know who's on the team. And the Reds will be represented by uh, Zach Cozart in the starting lineup and Joey Votto as a first baseman on the bench. So, um, obviously, uh, it's it's a really exciting thing to see Zach Cozart get that first, uh, first All-Star appearance as a starter and uh, gets a donkey out of the deal, which uh, is pretty... <laughs> Pretty, pretty sweet. I don't think uh, he could have thought to write that into his contract, so uh, that's a pretty nice perk. Um, so, yeah, what, uh, let's just start it off. Uh, let's. What do you guys think of, uh, you know, Zach Cozart and Joey Votto being the Reds All-Stars?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's pretty uh, pretty on point. You know, honestly, like, you know, Cozart coming back off of his DL stint was the only thing I thought might have derailed his chances of being a starter um, but you know, if, if, speaking of which, just kind of get side, sl- slightly sidetracked today. Justin Turner, uh, who didn't make the All-Star team uh, initially, despite the fact he's hitting like 380, got voted in today uh, by Los Angeles Dodgers fans with the most votes for the last, uh, like the last guy in since they started doing that several years ago. So for Cozart to hold off Corey Seager uh, the way that he did, also from the L.A. market, um, uh, was impressive not just because uh, uh, it took fans voting to get him in, which is a testament to Cincinnati Reds fans, uh, but also the people around the country that have started to take notice about the fact that this guy's always been good and is just playing really, really well right now. You know, It's not like he's a guy who's never been good and is freaking. He's good and playing better than he ever has, but he's also kind of... Yeah, you know it's it's a 31 year old shortstop who's got uh, six years under his belt. It's kind of a, um, um, you know, what popped in my mind when it was announced that he was going to be the starter it was kind of uh, the Todd Frazier winning the home run derby as kind of his swan song in Cincinnati before getting traded. Cozart um, getting a chance to start the All Star game almost kind of feels like that uh, uh, that kind of a, a similar feel to me. Whereas uh, he gets kind of like that that ceremonial uh, deserved spot in the spotlight a little bit while also simultaneously being on the trade market for the reds. Um, so either way, it's great for him. I'm glad he's healthy enough to be able to participate in it. Uh, the whole donkey issue is like my favorite thing that's happened this entire year. Um, uh, <laughs> it's a testament to Joey Votto being, uh, as, uh, quirky and, um, uh, oh, what's the hell, what the, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, Quirky, individualistic as as he is, and obviously Vado's in the game because he had you know a monster first half of the season. So I'm happy for both of them. I feel like they both are completely deserving. Um, getting Iglesias in would have been nice, but as good of a year as he's had, there's so many other relievers that have had fantastic first halves as well. And uh, who knows? I mean, given the fact that there's gonna be a lot of pitchers that pitch Saturday and Sunday and and won't be available for Monday's game, there might be a chance he he even squeaks in. So, um, but given the fact the Reds are Ten games under five hundred. I feel like it's a pretty, uh, pretty accurate, pretty solid representation.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was, I was pleasantly surprised with both the selections, and as you mentioned, Cozart getting um, voted in as a starter, um, especially considering the rampant vote manipulation we've seen with that over the past couple of years. I mean, like, was it you know two years ago? I think with the Royals and like Alcides Escobar was you know being voted in as the I don't know if he ended up winning. I don't think he did, but – and he was just having – I mean, he's not a good player. So,
1: yeah. Omar um, Infante, I think, was like almost voted in. And he was having the worst year of anybody in the majors at that point. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. and it's, so it's nice, especially when he was going – I mean, Kozart was directly going up against a huge market that could have you know, possibly mobilized like that, especially with the year that the Dodgers are having. Um, yeah. So that, I was pleasantly surprised and taken into account that he was on the 10-day disabled list for – you know, the vast majority of the final, you know, countdown there. Um, So I was pleasantly surprised that that worked out for him and obviously very happy for him. He's like low key. One of my favorite reds just because of what he's been able to do. I mean, even when he wasn't hitting, you know, he was still providing the plus value in a similar way that, that Billy Hamilton does. Um, And he's always just been, I don't know. it, It would be nice if it would be nice to see him be a red for a long time. I mean, it, obviously won't happen probably and for obvious reasons, but I'm going to miss Cozart when he's gone. I'll miss him more when he's gone. I think it'll hit me harder when he's gone or traded or, you know, if he goes in free agency, then I anticipate. And yeah. then with the with, with Joey, I think, I mean, obviously he deserves it. I was kind of worried about, you know, Rizzo winning the, the popular vote and then Votto getting squeezed for Zimmerman and, um, uh, Goldschmidt just because you know they're they're both putting up numbers for winning teams. Um, but that didn't happen. Zimmerman won and so Bato got in, I think, a little easier because of that. And he's having an out of this world season and I can't imagine what happens if he goes ham in the second half like he has the past couple of years. It's it's gonna be a sight to see. So I, I think it's great. I think if one of those guys didn't end up getting in, like if, if maybe if Cozart doesn't get voted in, I think prob- we probably see Iglesias there. Honestly, um, it's just one of those things. Or how many, how many All Stars do you pick from a team that's what seven, eight, nine games under five yeah. hundred? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. If yeah, when you're in last place, it's really hard to justify three All Stars, yes you know, in the All Star game. But yeah, I I, I would echo um, being impressed with baseball in general taking notice of Zach Kozart and, you know, really he's actually been recognized even in the small Cincinnati market for really being the best hitter in baseball throughout the two months of the first two months of the season. And, uh, it's, it's good to see him finally get recognized. I, I hope that, you know, he stays in Cincinnati. I think Derek, you're dead on that, you know, when we have, you know, Zach Vinci out there, bobbling balls and hitting two ten, you know, in a couple of years. If if that's the case, you know, I think we're we're probably gonna miss Zach Cozart a little bit more. And uh, but but we'll see. So uh, that kind of brings me to uh, another interesting topic. I think, you know, what will the Reds do with Zach Cozart at this trade deadline? If not. For the future, um, is there a chance that they could extend him? Is that uh, a thing that could happen?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I look up at I, 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 think it like Holbert Cabrera and Orlando Cabrera and Edgar Renteria and Cesar Is tourists and the laundry list of players <laughs> that have tried to replace Barry Larkin, well, yeah. who so <laughs> yeah, who who so seamlessly replaced for like eighteen years. Uh, David Concepcion, like shortstop for Cincinnati was such the obvious, uh, you know, straightforward answer for 40 years. And then there was this void for the longest period of time until Zach Cozart came up. And we look up and Zach Cozart's been a damn good player for six years. And we talk about him like it's an inevitability that he's going to get traded that's more, I think, because of his contract status than it is because it's, you know, the the eminent death knell on his career. Um he's 31 years old, and 31 is obviously not peak shortstop performance age. But he's not 50, you know. Like Omar Vizquel played shortstop till he was 44. Um like guys can play shortstop beyond that. That time frame of just 31, 32, 33, uh, maybe they shouldn't be playing 162 games a year. Uh, maybe they should not be playing uh, you know, day games after night games, that kind of thing. But I feel like Zach Cozart, we're in this uh, uh, weird paradox of saying, oh, we got to trade him while he's hot because everybody's going to think he's worth all this at the same time saying, no, he's not worth an extension because he's not going to be good anymore, as if every other team out there isn't having that same exact conversation as well. Um, And I I think there might be a middle ground there. I mean, if you look up at what the Reds have uh, with their middle infield options, um, I think they'd have to get a little bit more creative than what they've been with how Cozart's used in terms of playing him exclusively at shortstop. Um, But I think he's got the skill set to be able to pull that off. It's something they've been willing to do with guys like Jose Peraza, Scooter Jeanette, and Eugenio Suarez also. So the idea that he can't move and occasionally play second or maybe get a start at third base one day doesn't seem like it's uh, too outlandish of an idea. Um, so I think the Reds, if they're committed – and the other caveat in all this is their, their payroll is $25-plus plus million down from its peak – from two three years ago, and once Brandon Phillips is officially finally off the payroll after this year, it's going to drop a little bit more after that. So, it's not as if this team isn't capable of keeping the guy if they want him. Uh, the question becomes, how much of a role do they want to count on him for? Um, and there's a lot to suggest that you know, Hey, if he's 125, 130 game a 125, 130-game-a-year guy who can DH on uh, AL road trips, who can play third base here and there uh, or play second base here and there and still let the younger guys kind of come through the system, um, if you don't get what you want at the trade deadline for him, maybe that's an option you consider. Um, and it sure as heck sounds like Zach Cozart's willing to stick around Cincinnati if the price is close to being right um, and here we are talking about a guy who's having a free great season who's been a great guy for six years. Uh, I don't think he's a guy you just give away uh, purely because of his contract status. And that's the one big – the big question I'm going to be watching over the next three and a half weeks as this trade deadline approaches.
2: Yeah, <clears throat> Yeah, it would have been nice to see him uh, I mean he had a great year last year uh he was hampered a little bit toward toward the end of the season i think his play suffered before he even, he even went on the dl i think there toward the end of the season um because of you know the lingering ish, injury issues which you know he had a devastating knee injury the year before so like that's not you know out of the question but it would have been nice to see what he could have done in a full year strong because i mean obviously he's doing it this year so i guess i i i preface that by saying that it would be nice that if they could play the string out on this season with Zach Kozar to see if the first half is for real. And the second half comes anywhere close to what he's done so far. Um, but they can't, they don't have They basically have three weeks to figure out whether or not they're going to get an offer they like, um, or, you know, you can get, you can get into contract situation or contract extension talks with him, but then if he does what he He's done for the first half and the second half. I mean, it, ne- it never ceases to amaze me the amount of money that baseball GMs are willing to give away. I mean
1: – Like and- I, lo- I love Mike Leek, but Mike Leek got $90 million guaranteed – like, yeah, there is so much money out there for some guys. It's, it's It blows my mind, you know? And Mike right. Week and Zach, and Zach Cozart have been on par wins above replacement for wins above replacement for each other for their entire careers, you know? Right.
2: And then you see a guy that breaks out like this and plays, you know, a premium position – he does this over the – like maybe the, the Reds say, okay, we, we're we not getting offered what we want. We're going to keep him for the rest of the year and talk about a contract extension. And then he does this for the entire second half. I mean the dude's going to get $75 million. And at that point, I don't want the Reds paying $75 million. to that co at 30, 31 years old? You know what I mean? Like as much as I want him to stick around, like that that price is a little, a little heavy. So like they've got to balance somewhere between not just giving him away but then – being too stingy and then losing him for basically nothing. I mean, they can give him right. the qualifying offer, which is different this year, but it's just, but I don't know. If, it's it's a tightrope. I was going
1: to say, that the, what, what if they do give him the qualifying offer, though? What if they keep him? They don't get the right offer at the trade deadline. He hits 280 uh, with a, a career-best walk, right? And typical Zach Cozart power for the rest of the season, finishes as a you know five-and-a-half, six-win player, what if you offer him that that qualifying offer? It will probably be what, $18.5, uh, half, 19000000 million this offseason? And just see what happens, you know? Because um, if 2018 is the year where the Reds have targeted for the last three, four years to where they said, hey, this is where we're finally going to contend, um, if you look up and you say, what's my best middle infield option for just the 2018 season um, is having Jose Peraza at shortstop and either Scooter Jeanette or Dilson Herrera or Alex Blandino or whoever the hell else, or Eugenio Suarez at shortstop and some random person at third base. You look at your best combination for 2018 and say, okay, How is Zach Cozart not a part of that best combination? And while you'd be paying him individually more than you'd want to for one particular season, you wouldn't be tied to him long-term. If $115 million, which they paid for back-to-back years in 2013, 2014, is the top end of the budget, you're not breaking that. You're bumping up against it. And you're talking three years later with increased revenues at that point. Um, If you can't find the right way to get a lot of return for Zach Cozart – Keeping Zach Cozart for 2018 that way... Ties a lot more money than you want to for one particular player, but it doesn't break your budget and it might make your best infield for just that one season. So, um, and of course, if somebody else wants to come in and give them 75 million bucks, you don't get what you once got for the qualifying offer, but you still do get some compensation for it. Um, I I do think that might be kind of the ace in the hole for the Reds uh, if, obviously, if, you know, that entire series of events falls into play. Um, But one way or another, I think it's kind of a. Uh, here we are. It's crazy for me to be saying that Zach Kozart might be worth a qualifying offer, but I don't think that's quite as outlandish as it kind of sounded last year, or two years, or three years ago.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a tightrope that I'm glad I'm not the one that has to walk. <laughs> yeah, <it's interesting. laughs> I mean, I'm glad
0: I'm glad that it's
2: uh, you know you know Dick Williams and company that has to make that particular you know, pull the rabbit out of the hat sort of deal to get the best value. Um, And I, and I honestly, I trust him. I mean, there's been a lot more in in our opinion, or at least my opinion, there's been a lot more good deals than there have been bad deals. And, uh, and, you know, Dick Williams isn't responsible for all the, you know, Walt jockey-esque, like you mentioned with Edgar, Edgar Renteria and at all, you know, uh, (laughs) the, the two year, $5 Five million or ten million dollar contracts to veteran up the middle defender that just all sucked to high heaven. Um, he, you know, Dick Williams isn't responsible for those. Um, and obviously, if I wish Zach Kozar could get on one of those after this year, but that's probably not going to happen.
0: Yeah, one thing that I I think is kind of interesting about it though is you know I obviously it's it's really impressive what. Cozart's been able to put together this year but I am kind of wary if not worried that in the event that the Reds do shell out some money for Zach Cozart and it sounds like he's going to be he's going to command I would think at least the qualifying offer you know for one year if not you know 15 million a year you know on the open market right so if that's the case, you know, will we take the kind of league average hitting Zach Cozart? Like how, as a Reds I, fan, I'm not sure how I've, I would feel about, you know, watching OPS plus of hundreds at Cozart for 15 million bucks, as opposed to, you know, what we're seeing now for 5 million. I, I think it's, it's, a lot, it's a lot to think about, and it's a lot different you Know, given the two scenarios,
1: yeah, for sure. And I mean, you look up at uh, 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 Jose Peraza's offensive line so far this season, and it's not terribly different than the early uh stages of Zach Kozart's career. But what is markedly different is how the defensive metrics grade the two of them during that stance of time. Um, right. so if you know, obviously at that point, it comes down to how much, uh, how much, um, Dissonance there is between uh, Peraza having to shift between left field, center field, second base, and shortstop last year, and then second base and shortstop so far this year, and how much you trust his ability to actually be able to maintain good, solid defensive uh, uh, output day after day after day at shortstop and whether that might normalize if you give them that opportunity. Um, because obviously getting you know uh, a plus defensive shortstop plus what Peraza pl- provides on the bases and at the bat um, for league minimum next year would make a lot more sense if they know they can get that as opposed to paying Cozart uh, you know 17 $20 million. Um, you know, going forward. But the question becomes, is Peraza that good? Because what the the Reds have made a habit of doing in this year particularly – um, but also during their their solid runs of previous years, uh, they've always valued defense significantly, especially on guys that are uh, uh, you know that are younger, that are pre arp guys, pre-free agent guys, um, and they've always tried to maintain top echelon defense across the diamond. And if Perazet, you know, obviously he's not been rated that well so far. Uh, if they don't think he can stick as a pure defensive shortstop with his offensive shortcomings, um, then suddenly they've got uh, a trickle-down series of decisions to make at that point. Um, you know, can hino Suarez moved back to shortstop? Uh, can his defensive metrics hold up uh, over the course of a season if he plays shortstop? Uh, what do you do with Peraza at that point? What do you do at third base at that point? Um, Cozart kind of is uh, that, uh, that, that, that keystone at the top of the arch at this point, where if you pull him out, Everything hopefully will fall into place, but there's a chance it might just shuffle up a whole lot of dominoes uh, that they don't have answers for any of them. Um, yeah. And so that's that's the one thing I'm, I'm looking close into watching. And uh, fortunately, fortunately, they they made this little minor waiver claim before the season started and picked up Scooter Jeanette, um, who has provided <laughs> them with uh, uh, quite the second option at second base, along with around the diamond. Um, and suddenly the decisions that, that we thought were going to be obvious because if it was there, uh, two and a half months ago, uh, have been complicated on in a good way because of how good scooters played, uh, and knowing that they've got him tied up if they want him, uh, for a couple more years, uh, through team control. So, um, yeah, I I think that, that, that's, uh, that to me is clearly the. I don't want to say it's the last step in the rebuild because I think there's still some things that, that are going to have to get done that you know aren't obvious based on what the current roster suggests. But I think that's the the final big move is what to do with Cozart because it opens up so many different doors depending upon whether or not they want to keep him or if they move him, uh, regardless of return. So yeah, that's uh, that's going to be the next three weeks of of intrigue for me.
2: Well, and I think it, if you cast, I think what's going to be interesting is if you cast a wider lens, just beyond Cozart, and because it's not just Cozart having, you know, an out of this out of this world season. It's as you mentioned, Scooter Jeanette. It's Scott Shebler, you know, on pace for what like fifty home runs, and Adam Duvall hitting even better than he did last year. But if you look league, league wide everyone's hitting better than they were last year. Yeah, Like on the whole, everyone is mashing based upon, you know, in previous years. So it's not just the Reds looking at what they have and they're like, Oh yeah. You know, like we have a lot more offense than, than we thought we did. It's the whole league looking at it and saying, yeah, we have a lot more offense than we thought we did. So like, I'll be interested to see not just at the deadline, but also in the off season, what major league, general managers are going to be willing to pay for this are they going to say yes this is the new league norm and we're going to go out and get these guys or are they saying okay like this might just be a one-year fluke like major league baseball you know because they're always talking about pace of play and all that well you know if you hit 1101 dingers in a particular <laughs> month, like that's not helping pace of play like that's making everything longer obviously which that's exciting for the league. So maybe they don't, you know, reverse course, but they're always talking about that. So it'd be interesting to see whether League GM say, Yeah, this is the new this is the new norm. These guys are, you know, mashing, like we'll go out and pay for them, or if they all come you know, if water finds his level and everybody's mashing, then you know, maybe they kinda cancel each other out. Like I think that'll be interesting to see, like if they if if league decision makers actually buy into the offense this season.
1: That's a very good point. Very, very good point. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, one other thing that I want to get to um, is Hunter Green. So, as of this recording, um, Hunter Green has yet to sign with the Reds. Uh, By the time this goes out, he will have either signed or not signed. Uh, We're recording this around 24 hours from the deadline. so um, There's no way that the Reds can let this happen, right? I'm getting nervous. (laughs) I mean,
1: they've got the ability to sign him for the slot amount, which has never happened. Nobody's ever gotten slot value as the number one or number two overall draft pick. It's not happened in this history of this system. And they've got the ability to pay him the $7.1930 million uh, because they have strategically signed the rest of their top 10 draft picks to be able to maintain that. Um, I I can't imagine a scenario where it doesn't get done. For me, I look at two main things that are probably the competing factors in why it hasn't happened, obviously, yet. Uh, first, he's a pitcher or he's a shortstop. He's an infielder. He's a third baseman. He can hit and he can throw 102 miles an hour. My guess is there are probably certain things that, that his agent is trying to negotiate that suggest – at least loose guidelines or maybe even super specific guidelines because he wants to do one of the two and the reds might not know exactly the best way to, to, to accommodate that. And there's some back and forth going on there. Um, but the other thing, and I think it might be the most important thing is what I started this comment with, which is nobody has ever signed for the value that major league baseball tells you, you should sign them for. Um, and from a player perspective and even from an MLBPS, MLBPA perspective, and I'm not suggesting the MLBPA is behind this, but if you're a talent to his level, which is from all regards, you know, uh, a game-changing potential guy and you can't even get the amount that's been allotted for you to be drafted at and signed at – That sets a precedent every single year that doesn't happen and it keeps trickling down. And I think if anything, his agencies or his agents and his representatives want him to be that guy that says, hey, MLB said you should sign for 7.193 if you're drafted second overall. You should sign for that amount. That should be the biggest bonus in the draft. And that – Trickles down next year, and the year after that, and the year after that, and every negotiation beyond that level. So I think it's 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 one point. You know, it gets kind of painted as being greedy on his end for wanting that extra like hundred ninety five thousand dollars, which ultimately doesn't make that much of a difference. But I do think it's precedent setting, and so I think there's a little bit of a a stalemate there. Uh, Because of that and also because of potential, uh, you know, uh, how they start him out as a pitcher versus how they let him play both ways, all of that kind of jazz, uh, which is, uh, you know, that's indicative of a a unique talent that doesn't come around that often. Um, But still, I I think the Reds will get a deal done. We're we're talking, uh, you know, it's also different this year because they moved the deadline a lot farther up from where it was in four or five, six years ago, we had a lot longer window to sign these guys. Um, the draft has only been, a, what, three, four weeks ago. So I, I think they'll get it done. I think there might be some drama in it, um, but I fingers crossed. I'm still not worried that it's not going to happen uh, because I think the Reds identified early on and know that this is a guy who's got as much talent as maybe anybody they've signed in recent memory.
2: Well, and that's the thing. I mean, the Reds had to have known that if they had the chance to select this guy, that you know that they are potentially taking. And I guess you could say this every year, but they're potentially taking a franchise-changing talent. I mean, every year—not I guess not every year, but a lot of years. There's a you know a guy or two in you know high school or college that. It's getting a lot of hype, like they're going to be the first, you know, the the number one overall pick. They're going to be 1-1. They're going to change, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, you don't see a lot of these guys in April getting the cover of Sports Illustrated as, you know, the next baseball phenom and the the next face of MLB, that kind of thing. And I'm not saying, like, he's buying into his own hype, but it's not him that's saying this about himself. Like, this is baseball people that are saying, like, this guy's special, And so, I mean, the Reds know that. He's a high school guy. You're taking him with the second overall selection. Chances are the Twins are passing on him because he is a high school selection that is going to take at least, if not full slot, at least most of the slot. So you have to know this going in. So I imagine it's just them playing hardball um, as far as getting, you know, like, oh, you know, we're not going to be the first organization to give you full slot. But but when it comes down to the 11th hour, if that's what it takes, like you got to do it. I, I mean, yeah. and, and, yeah. and, and maybe they're waiting for him to blink. I mean, maybe that's what it is because he has a lot to lose $7 million to lose by not signing, by going to UCLA and then spending what, what is it? Two years, I guess in that system before he's eligible to be drafted again. And then he'll be drafted for what, you know, seven, five, like that's not, I mean, that's a huge risk to take. So I'm getting, I'm getting nervous just because it's coming right down to it. But on the other hand, it doesn't make. I mean, and C. Trent wrote about this today. Like, it doesn't make sense for either side.
1: And I mean, like, I'm getting nervous because of how talented I think he is. More so than I am because I think it's going to like set the Reds back ten years. Like, honestly, he's 17 years old and is going to be 17 years old for another month. Um, it, He might be Doc Gooden. He might be um, uh, Nolan Ryan. I don't know. Obviously, if he's either of those guys, you want him to be in the red system. But the fact remains, if they don't sign him, it's not like they they have to forfeit their franchise. They get the number three pick next year. And the number three pick next year might be Nick Senzel Jr. I, you know, who's a, who's a guy who's just as talented, somebody I'll be just as hyped about, and who probably will reach the big leagues faster than Hunter Greenwood if they sign him this year. So there are. You know, there are, there are caveats in play for the Reds to be able to have their own leverage in all of this. And that's why this was constructed the way it was. Um, do I think it would be a wise decision for the Reds not to sign Hunter Green? No. Uh, do I also think that come uh, uh, late May, early June next year, I'm going to be fabulously excited about the Reds drafting 3rd and 7th and 31st and 38th in the draft? Yeah, I will be too, and I think they'll restock their system in an incredible way next year if that's the scenario that happens too. And so um, it it, it causes a little bit of like uh, unnerving drama that you wish wouldn't be there, but it's also not the end of the world because Major League Baseball put rules in place to make sure it's not the end of the world. So um, I'm going to be watching anxiously between now and 5 p.m. tomorrow uh, to see what happens, but at the same point in time – I think the kids got a whole heck of a lot more risk on the line than the reds do. And I think that might be what the reds are just kind of trying to wait out.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm hoping that's the case too. I think that, you know, the best, the best way to think about it is that, you know, the twins had a chance to draft Hunter green and passed on him for the reason of he's going to want, you know, seven and a half billion dollars or whatever. And, um, the, the twins knew that the reds know every as much as the twins do about that. They knew that going in as well. And they decided to pull the trigger on him. Um, I, I can't imagine that they did that expecting him not to, not to sign or for that to even be a possibility. So I, I still expect it to get done. Um, you know, I don't think Hunter Green's representation would be doing their jobs if, uh, If this doesn't go to the final hour and that they don't get as much as they possibly can from the Reds, I think that's, that's totally fair. I think as long as, as long as there's a deal at the end of the day, um, I think everybody will be happy though. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. All right. Well, uh, I think that's about time to, uh, end this one. So, uh, we will, we will be, uh, taking an all-star Break of our own, most likely. Um, we we might uh, be able to pod on one of the off days, but um, but we'll uh, we'll see. The Reds are going into Arizona to uh, finish their first half of the season, so uh, make sure to to follow along with us at Red Reporter. Uh, we'll be uh, hanging out in the game threads. We'll be. Recapping the games, we'll be previewing the games, talking about the minor leagues. So, uh, and come, if you, uh, have, if you, if you happen out. to
1: be uh, down in Phoenix for this particular series this weekend, uh, there's this little, uh, kind of strip mall <laughs> Irish pub, um, that's technically located in Glendale, Arizona, which is not too far from downtown Phoenix. Uh, but it's called Tim Finnegan's, they have uh, corned beef taquitos. As well as plenty of beers on tap and I'm not saying I've been there a time or twelve and really enjoyed myself, but um, I, I would I would suggest that you check it out if you happen to be in the area this weekend. So <laughs> it's
2: been the best can, times that we can the it's been the best times that we
1: never remember.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, I can uh, I can vouch for Tim Finnegan's as well. That was uh, <laughs> that place. I think I think, uh, I think Brian put it best in uh, his Yelp review of Tim Finnegan's. I don't know, did did you ever see that?
2: I did. He actually, I did. Wrote, he wrote
0: a he wrote a Yelp review of Tim Finnegan's and said, "I have visited uh Phoenix for six nights in my entire life, and all six of them were spent getting hammered at Tim Finnegan's. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and I was there for all a, six of those. Say that is, that is a mic drop if, if I've ever heard one. So, uh, yes, comes highly recommended from the uh, Red Reporter. Yes, absolutely. But uh, we'll uh, close this out. Um, hopefully, we'll see you next week. And uh, for Wick and Derek, peace out.
1: Go Red.